I invite you to take out your Bibles once again and turn with me to John chapter 15. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you that you are not silent. You speak. And so, Father, be pleased to speak through your word this morning. By your spirit, may we have understanding. And by your spirit, may we be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Father, enable us to listen and listen well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all said it. We've all heard it said. It doesn't work. Now the first, and I think most important step in troubleshooting, is to ask the question, is it plugged in? In other words, is it connected to the source of electrical power that will enable it to work, to run? You wouldn't believe how many problems might have been solved when I've taken that first step. I want to stick with this idea of being plugged in. There's a lot of expressions that come and go um, in, in the world, in culture, in the Christian church. I'm still getting used to people who sign their letters best. Haven't quite figured out. I guess you just fill in the blank after that. Um, but in the Christian world over the last decade or two, I've heard an expression, um, especially when people are talking about visiting a new church or being part of a church. They say, I'm getting plugged in. I think y'all have heard that, right? I'm getting plugged in. It usually means I'm getting involved in the programs. Sometimes people get so plugged in that they, get, they end up getting burned out. Well, here in John 15, Getting plugged in doesn't refer to a program, but rather to a person. In this seventh and final I am statement, Jesus is going to talk about some of what it means to be plugged in to God through him. And my friends, this type of plugging in doesn't lead to burnout, but to life. As we've been hearing over the last few weeks, uh, unique to the gospel according to John are seven signs, seven miracles that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And there are seven statements of Jesus's own self-identification. Jesus asked his disciples over and over, who do you say that I am? Here in John, Jesus says, I am, I am. I am. Jesus uses images and figurative symbols to make himself known. And whether they are considered individually or together, they paint a picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do and how someone should respond and relate to him. John, the writer of the fourth gospel, who refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved, focuses on a theme of life. Toward the end of John, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he provides his purpose statement, his conclusion. It's a concise summary of the book 
In verse 31 of chapter 20, we read, But these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And as we've been seeing week after week, it is an abundant life. It's an eternal life. So far, we've seen several calls for faith, faith that leads to life. And and this summary statement really does provide a good overall context for all seven I am statements. Earlier, earlier in John, Jesus encounters um, a group of religious leaders and Jesus makes this interesting statement. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now this seventh statement is not so much coming to him, but as this concluding statement, it's rather one of being with him. So far, these I am statements have included either directly or indirectly a call to come to him and to believe in him. Now, however with his declaration that he is the vine and his disciples are the branches, Jesus is speaking about and to those who have already come to him. He calls them to abide or to remain in him. And these 11 verses that we're going to consider today in just a moment are an extended metaphor, an allegory, an image. Well, what's the picture? The picture is of the intimate union of believers with Jesus. It's a picture of what Paul would later call, as we heard in Ephesians 1, union with Christ. Join with me now as I read John 15, 1 through 11. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Well, for the next few minutes, we're going to open up and explore this section of Jesus's final speech, as it were, to his disciples. 
by considering his claim, his declaration, and his invitation. We're going to look at his claim, his declaration, and his invitation. The claim of Jesus, I am. Right off the bat, Jesus says, I am the true vine, verse 1. Jesus is pulling up and using rich imagery of Old Testament Israel being a vine, the Lord's vine. We heard about that in Psalm 80. We would see it in Isaiah as well. Jesus is taking an image of Israel and he's applying it to himself and he's signaling a contrast between himself and the religious leaders that, will, that are already rejecting him and that will ultimately reject him. Jesus is speaking about a movement and calling himself, I am the true vine, movement from a particular nation to a particular man. Israel had been that vine planted in the promised land, but Israel is now being replaced by Jesus, the true vine. And thus the people of God will no longer be associated with a territory, but rather with the entire world. Jesus here in that expression is claiming to be true Israel. He is claiming to be all that Israel failed to be, a faithful son and a fruitful vine. Jesus refers not only to himself as being the true vine, but his father as the vine dresser, both as it were in Jesus' life, but also in particular in the lives of those who follow Jesus, his disciples. And then moving to verse 5, we hear Jesus say, I am the vine. It's a way of saying that I am the way people are connected to God. Jesus is saying that he's the source and he's the supply of everything we need. Jesus is the one in whom and through whom all blessings from God flow to us. We heard last week and we thought about Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. The, the, the fact that no one comes to the Father except through him. You see, as the vine, Jesus is the way that the life of God comes. Uh, Jesus is the access point to God. Now, as important as Jesus' claim is, I am the true vine, I am the vine. Interestingly, the focus here in our passage is really on Jesus' declaration. You are. Jesus says, I am, but he also says, you are. And the focus in our passage is on the life of the branches that are connected to the vine. So notice again in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. I think it's important to note that he doesn't say you are the branch, but you are the branches. Um, just helping us remember the corporate nature of Christianity, the community nature. It's not a vine with one branch. It's one vine with many branches. You are the branches. And because of this declaration that Jesus 
this claim that Jesus is the vine and this declaration that you are the branches, um, at least two things will be true. At least two things. First, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. You heard that throughout this passage. What does Jesus mean when he speaks of fruit? It's something more basic. Um, It's something that underlines both kind of ethical values and and missionary work that that Cam and others are doing. It it means the, the possession of divine life itself, especially the knowledge of God and the love of God. Paul picks up on this in in Galatians 5. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit that the Spirit produces. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. You will bear fruit. Well, what does it mean to bear fruit. If, if fruit are things like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, what does it mean to bear fruit? Well, fruit's not produced by restraining the hand, but rather it's produced by changing the heart. Change. Bearing fruit. Change. It's not technique. It's not morality in the traditional sense. It's not magic in the sense of kind of a new age spirituality. Bearing fruit does not mean clean up your life. Christianity is not about cleaning up your life, although many people, when they think of Christians and they think of Christianity, that's what they think about. Oh, you've got to clean up your life. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and new life came. This is recreation, new life. Jesus is speaking And new life is being generated in those who hear and believe. That fruit is fruit that the Spirit produces. Love and joy and peace and patience and so on. In a word, to bear fruit means becoming more like Jesus. Now, we've just spent a few minutes reading the first 11 verses of John chapter 15. How familiar would you say the church in America is with John chapter 15? How many, if you were to ask the average person who proclaims to believe in God, to proclaims to believe in Jesus, are they familiar with John 15? Could you see in their life of living the Christian life, could you see an aspect of people who know that apart from Jesus they could do nothing? Or would you see an awful lot of activity? We have to ask ourselves that very question too. I have to. In the mirror. 
if bearing fruit, which is what Jesus says branches do, because they're connected to the vine, if bearing fruit is becoming more like Jesus, how am I doing? How are you doing? Well, how is that fruit produced? In other words, how does fruit grow? Well, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, of course, behind it all is that secret, invisible, though real operation of the Spirit. And it's, it should be noted that living things grow. Uh, people grow, people change because they're alive, because they're connected to Jesus. Again, apart from me, you can do nothing but let's think about how world religions and philosophies through the years have handled it. They've all handled it through self-effort. The ancient Greeks, know yourself. The imperial Romans, control yourself. Buddhism, extinguish yourself. Islam, subordinate yourself to power. American positive thinking, improve yourself. It's another version of self-effort. But if you're connected to Jesus, not only will you bear fruit, but secondly, you'll be pruned. You'll be pruned. What's the purpose of pruning? So that you'll bear more fruit, more growth. I am not the green thumb in my family. Someone else is, and once a year or so, the green thumb in my family cuts back shrubbery. And it's, in my eyes, it's dead. It looks painful. It looks bare, but you know what? In just a few weeks, new growth appears, and you know what? That bush, that shrub looks better this year than it did last year. Why? It's been pruned you see a Christian will be cut back but as we sang just a few minutes ago a Christian will never be cut off Christ is mine forevermore we could have sung it like this Jesus singing to us you are mine forevermore a Christian who is being pruned knows that it's a loss to keep, but it's a gain to lose. And when a Christian is pruned, it's like a branch that is being pruned has to draw on the vine for more life. It has to go back for more. And, and what's the pruning method here for the believer? What's the pruning method that's done to the branches who are attached to the vine. Suffering and discipline. Paul in Romans 5 talks about suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. In Hebrews chapter 12, we, we, we understand a bit about what discipline does. When we read the Lord disciplines the one he loves, we, we have assurance and confidence that we belong to the Lord. But to be sure, for all of us, it is painful when a life of self is cut 
away. What did Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's that denying self that's often so painful. This suffering and this discipline can be viewed as heat. Uh, The heat of circumstances around us, the heat of people, the heat of situations. And have you noticed that a fire can be applied and it either softens or hardens the substance? And what, what causes the difference between something in the heat being softened and something being hardened. It's what the substance is, right? You put gold into a fire, what do you get? A malleable metal. What happens if you put clay into the fire? You get a brick. So in view of being pruned, if you're being cut back, you're being prepared for more growth and there is a soft heart involved. But if you're, as it were, being pruned, actually not being pruned, but there's no fruit produced. The vine dresser sees the branch not producing fruit, and that branch is cut off. And that's because that branch may be belonging in an outward way but not in an inward way, not in an organic way. You know, I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about the grocery store, Kroger. You can go into certain sections of the produce, right? It's organic. It's more expensive, isn't it? But Jesus is saying all of this is organic because your life is coming from my life. So Jesus is saying, as you follow me, you will move forward. You will bear fruit, but you will also be held back at times. You will be pruned. Jesus has made it clear as to who he is and who his disciples are. He's saying, I'm the vine, I'm the source of your life, and you are the branch. You are a branches. Now in the mix of his claim and his declaration, we find an invitation. Could it be a command? Sure. Could it be a call? No doubt. But I believe it can be best understood as an invitation to receive what Jesus is offering. And so let's look, thirdly, at the invitation of Jesus. I think the invitation of Jesus we thought about quite a bit when we looked at the book Gentle and Lowly. It's found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, come to me, and you know what? You'll be given rest, and you'll find rest. But here, in our passage, 
Jesus is saying, now that you've come to me, really do rest in me, remain in me, or to use the word of the text, abide in me. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. In our text, we hear abide in me four times. There's an invitation. There's a description. Those who abide in me. But Jesus doesn't just say abide in me. Go down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus could have said, abide in my teaching. Abide in my manner of life. Abide, remain, stay with, walk with, meditate on, listen to, hang with. No, he says what? Abide in my love. What does Jesus view as the central thing in his relationship to those who follow him? Should it surprise us? It's his love. How could I be surprised by this again and again and again? Abide in my love. Most translations, they either say abide or remain. This idea of remaining comes, you know, we think about it doesn't end. It lasts forever. It remains. You know, Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the heart of man. There's something that we all want to last forever. And Jesus is saying, Come to me, rest in me, abide in me, abide in my love. His love. His greatest contribution to you and me is his love, living and dying in our place and on our behalf. Jesus makes this claim. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And he makes a declaration. You are the branches. And he issues an invitation. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Remain in me. Remain in my love. Why did Jesus say these things to his disciples? Why did in this speech, on that night with his disciples around a meal, why did he say these particular things? Well, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. It's right there. He told us. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. My friends, think about the joy of Jesus, keeping his father's commandments and abiding in his father's love. 
Think of the joy of the Trinitarian life of God. They delight in one another. Here we are at Trinity Sunday. And if you think about the Trinity, mysterious that it is, you can still see it and understand it at least by seeing it's a union and communion of three persons who give and receive love. It's a, it's a trinity of love. The joy of Jesus, the vine. And he, because his branches are connected to him, there is the joy of the disciple. Keeping Jesus' commandments, abiding in his love, remaining in his love. It's continuous Abide. Just the very statement of the type of verb it is, it's continuous. It sort of, once it starts, it never ends. My friends, this is an aspect of the joy of the gospel that Jesus invites us to share in his love, to receive his love, to, to remain with his love. And that gospel joy pushes out both fear and pride. When we, when we think we don't obey enough, there's fear. And when we think we obey well, there is pride. But not when a branch is so conscious of being connected to the vine that they realize apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. The joy that is in Jesus is that joy that he wants us to have and it's a fullness of joy. For those of you familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, it can be seen as the guilt of our sin, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the gratitude that we have because we've been saved by grace through faith. Obedience in that sense looks like gratitude. For people who know what God has done for them, they say thank you in many ways by doing what he asks. And yet his burden is light. His yoke is easy because we are abiding. We are connected to the vine. So how do you get plugged into God? You get plugged into God through faith in Jesus Christ. And what is faith? It's a gift. You receive it, but you can also ask for it. What do you want? My friends, this picture, this illustration of Jesus being the vine and his people being the branches, branches that bear fruit, branches that are pruned. There may be branches that are connected in an external sense and eventually they'll be cut off. But here is good news of the gospel that Jesus was cut off so that you and I would only be cut back. Jesus was cut off 
for a time from the life of God, as it were, as he bore the punishment for our sin. And he did that so that no matter what, you and I who trust in Jesus, who are connected by faith to the vine, would never be cut off, but only cut back to produce more fruit. My friends, we all were so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. There was no other way, and yet we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There's no greater joy than to know what Jesus has done for you in your place and on your behalf and what Jesus continues to do for you by his spirit as you and I are connected to the vine, receiving our life from the vine, walking by faith and not by sight, and knowing that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, yet knowing, like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we do not have life in and of ourselves, but we have life in Christ by faith. Father, be pleased to bear fruit in our lives, the fruit of your spirit, the evidence that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Father, thank you for reminding us of our connection with Jesus by faith. Would you be pleased to strengthen our faith today? Help us to know the joy that's in Jesus and help us to know the fullness of his joy. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm in response to him that...